Good morning, Dorisville. It is such a pleasure to be with you here today, and and I want to thank you already for the worship team, the incredible job they did in leading us in worship. And with all my heart, I want to tell you something. I really believe that today, um, especially as a day, a holy day, and I want to tell you that I believe we're on holy ground today. Um, this message you're about to hear was not the original message. I changed it. God changed me. On Tuesday, this was going to be preached on a Wednesday night, and as I read this scripture early Tuesday morning, God made it very clear. So I want to look you in the eye and tell you this, that this is God's message for us today. With total confidence, I want to tell you that. And we're on holy ground, and we need to honor that. If you're our guest today, you've chosen a very good day to visit Dorsville Baptist Church, because I believe God wants to work in your heart and your life. In Dorsville, I know God has a message for us as a church family today. Instead of where we were going to go, we're going to be in the minor prophet Haggai. Haggai. Um, there's three ways I can help you get that. If you open your Bible to Matthew and turn left and go three books. Okay? Go to Matthew, turn left, three books. In your bulletin, if you have a bulletin today, there's a sermon sheet in there. And you'll find Haggai chapter 1 on that. You may use that. And then also, the scripture will be on our screens today. So three opportunities for you to get the Word of God. Now, it's really important because... I've learned a long time ago is that it really does not matter what I say today. It doesn't matter what my opinion is today, but it so much matters what God says. Particularly if you're a follower of God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it matters a whole lot. And so I want to encourage you to be sure and follow along in God's word as he speaks through us through the scripture. Now, the sermon title today is called The Thinker, The Thinker. And and I thought this morning, well, how do you introduce that? Because I really didn't have the introduction nailed down yet. And then I thought about a guy. Actually, I thought about a orangutan. And um, when I was a younger man, probably 15 years ago, there was a saying on a postcard that I saw, and uh, it brought to my memory. And some of you may have heard of a guy named Satchel Paige. Anybody heard of him? Yeah, this is him right here. Baseball player. Um, he, he played in the uh, African-American leagues early on and then moved into the, uh, the National Football League, you know, American Football League. And, well, I'll get it out here. You know what I'm talking about. The Major League Baseball League. He played. He was a pitcher there, but he's kind of famous for the things that he said. One of the things that he said was this. Let me see if I can get this, this out right. He said that um, age doesn't, let's see, age is a mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Pretty good, huh? Pretty good. And, and then he said these words. He said, sometimes I sit and thinks. And sometimes I just sits. Sometimes I sit and thinks. And sometimes I just sits. And I thought and I said, you know, that's how a lot of people do church. We walk into this place, this worship center, whether it be this one or another one, and sometimes we just sit. We may sing a few songs, we may uh, contemplate the message, we may have listened to the message, but frankly we just sit. But then sometimes, and I'm hoping today is that day, sometimes we sit and we think. And when we sit and think, God will do a mighty work in our lives and we will act on what we here. So take your Bibles again, turn to Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to follow Mr. Page, 
pages of advice, and we're going to sit and contemplate, meditate, and ask God's word to speak. I have prayed for you today that God would speak to your heart individually because, again, I know no matter my presentation today, I figured out that God was bigger than technical difficulties if there were going to be any. And I know this, that God is the one who will cause this message to soak into our hearts today. So we go back to Haggai chapter 1, and we read these words. And I want you to know, I've practiced really hard on these names. And I only have to say them twice. So let's see if I can get them out. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the, war, the word of the Lord came through Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, let's just pause there because you go, huh? Okay, let's pause there. First off, this is a real affirmation. This is one of those times in the Word of God. Now, you remember this. This is cool. This is one time in the Word of God that we have an exact date when this happened. If you coincide the Hebrew calendar and our, our Judeo-Christian calendar today, you can have the exact date. What we're about to read happened on August the 29th in the year 520 B.C. Now, that, the reason that's important is because it gives you affirmation that this is just not some book that somehow has survived through the years. It is the Word of God. And that God has preserved his word. So some 2,600 years ago, this event took place. We even know why it took place. Because the Jewish people would celebrate the New Moon Festival on the first day of the month. So we know the day, August 29th. We also know why they were gathered together. And that was their New Moon Festival. And God used this opportunity to speak to these people. Now, did you know what I just said? God used this opportunity. He spoke through a man, in this case the prophet Haggai, but it was God that was speaking. And once again, God, I hope that God will use me to be his spokesman today to express to you his word. But if, if you leave here and say, Brother Dwayne said, we've missed it. And it, and it will not do anything to change your life. But if you will understand that God is speaking today, God's word is proclaiming truth today, and allow that truth to print in your heart, it can change the way you live forever. So here is what happens after that introduction. The Bible says in verse number 2, The Lord of hosts, again, the Lord of hosts, 14 times in the book of Haggai, he says this, The Lord of hosts says this, these people say, so this is a common saying among the people. The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Now, a little bit of context. The children of Israel have come back, and Judah have come back from being in captivity for 70 years. They've come back to destruction. They've come back to buildings that have been destroyed. They've come back to no temple. They've come back to a very difficult situation. And you know what normal you do. When you arrive there and you find your house tore down, you start putting your life back together. The problem seems to be, and it is, that, that they did that 
But then they kept saying, it became a common saying, you know, we really need to rebuild that temple. It really needs to be rebuilt. But today is not that day. And it became an excuse for putting off what really needed to be done. We call it, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Very common. If you are a person who struggles with exercise, oh, come on. We say, I'll get on the treadmill tomorrow. I'll start walking tomorrow. I'll start jogging tomorrow. I'll go to the health center tomorrow. And it's always tomorrow. It's always later. Again, if you're a person who wrestles with weight, we'll always start our diet tomorrow. And we apply that spiritually. We see it in the church all the time. We see it with God's people all the time. It goes something like this. I'll tithe, but not today. I'll serve, but not today. I'll give, but not today. I'll obey, but not today. I'll go, just not today. So God says, it's common among the people that they understand there's a need. They're not denying the need. They're just saying, just not today. But then God asks this really poignant question that just cuts to the heart. Here's what he says. Verse 3. The word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. Here's what God said. Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? You say it's not time to build my house... But at the same time, while my house is laying in ruins, you are living in your nice, finished homes. You have no problem saying, it's time for me to build my house, but you always have an excuse for not building my house. That's very poignant. That's very piercing. Because here's what I want you to understand. To the children of Israel in that context... It was appropriate for God to say, my house. But see, today we are not building a house. This is not a sermon about a building program. This is about building a kingdom. This is about building a kingdom of God in this world. And God would say to us, we, we have a wonderful building. We have our lives pretty much together. But there's a world out there that is lying in ruins. There's a world out there with people who are lost and on their way to a Christless hell. And we are being asked, is that okay? As long as we're in the lifeboat, as long as we're comfortable, as long as we're cool where we are, is it all right for kids dying of AIDS in Africa without hope to just keep dying? Is it all right for the homeless in Chicago To keep dying without Christ? Is it okay for the folks that live in Harrisburg who for whatever reason have not made a decision for Christ just to keep dying without Christ? And God would say no. God would say no. David Platt, and you'll see the sign here and it's on your sermon sheet, said something like this. There will continue to be millions and millions of people who do not hear as long as we continue to use spare time and spare money to reach them. And then he adds this part. Those are two radically different questions. What can we spare and what will it take? What can we spare and what will it take? So they were saying, I'll get around to it, but just not 
today. And God was saying, you've taken your resources and your time and your abilities and you've built your world at the expense of a world out there who's dying and going to hell. Now, there, there are several key phrases in this scripture that I'm talking, as I read this this week, have literally jumped off the page at me. Listen to these words. In verse number five, the Lord says, Now, the Lord of hosts says this, Think carefully about your ways. He says, Think carefully about your ways. With my heart, with all that I am as a pastor and a speaker of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think God is saying, Examine, look carefully, evaluate your ways today. It's like if God is speaking to us from heaven and looking down at our hearts and saying, let's carefully examine what our world looks like. And he follows that with like five statements that I would like to turn into questions. Now, the first one in, in verse number five says, or verse six says this. You have planted much... But harvested little. You have planted much, but harvested little. God is saying to the people of that day, you've, you've poured your resources and time into the field, your field, so you can grow food, but have you noticed something? There's not a harvest. There's not a harvest. You're pouring the, the energy in there, but there's no results. And I think God would say to us today, Okay, All right. what real difference are you making today? As you go, as you journey through life, what are you doing in your life today that will last past your tombstone? If you were to die today, what mark have you left on this world? How will people remember you? You know, it's been said that so often our lives are this way, that if we stick our hand into a bucket of water and we pull it out, the result is nothing. God wants us to live in such a way that we have eternal results. I mean, do you understand that for most of us, that the biggest question on people's mind, the thought on people's mind after our funeral is at the funeral dinner, do we want white meat or dark? You understand? When you go, most people will remember what they had for lunch more than what was said at your funeral. And there's a way to make a difference. There's a way to change that. And that is to make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. If you're a mommy or a daddy, you know, far more important than how you pour your education to your child is how you pour God into their lives. That's your legacy. When you're dead and gone, part of you will live on in that child. Pour Jesus into them. Where you work. Do you understand? Yeah, you need to draw a pension when you retire, if you retire. But do you understand that that workplace needs to be different because you were different? What difference are you making? God says, think about it today. If you were to die today, what difference have you made in this world? And he says this. You eat, but never have enough to be satisfied. You eat, 
but you never have enough to be satisfied. We call it grazing in the 20th century, at least in the 21st century, in the Taylor household. There's this urge we have. And so we go to the refrigerator, we start eating things, hoping to find the thing that fulfills us, that will fill us in that case. Let me ask you a question. Are you really fulfilled? I mean, is your life purposeful? I mean, or are, is, is the story of your life this, as I saw in the bumper sticker? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Are you fulfilled as a person? Do you wake up in the morning knowing the impact you've made? Or is there this, come on now, come on, come on. Or is there this emptiness inside and you're going, I don't understand this. I read my book, I read the book, I pray, I go to church, okay? Some of you go three times a week. But there's still this emptiness inside. And my question would be, really, in your life, are you fulfilled? And I need to tell you this. For those of you who may not know uh, Jesus Christ personally today, you need to understand something, that you can't buy fulfillment at Walmart. I'm telling you guys, you can't. You can't. You, you, you can't get it on the parking lot. I asked Chris Street, who works for Jim Hayes, I said, selling cars, bud? He goes, yeah, man. You know, I hope you'll keep buying cars because he needs the money and the job. But do you understand that a new car is not going to give you fulfillment? I mean, you understand that, don't you? The fulfillment lasts about as long as the first payment or first scratch, whichever happens to come first. Are you fulfilled? The third thing he says is this. You drink, but never have enough to become drunk. You drink, but you never get enough to get drunk. I put the question as this. Are you satisfied or chasing rabbits? But, but let me just explain it this way. When a man is drinking, now with the exception of me, my total in, intake, alcohol intake for my entire life, okay, is mom giving me a taste of wine when she bases fruitcake. Okay? So probably one beer would send me for the loop. Okay? But a person who's used to alcohol, you drink one beer, it's like nothing. Okay? But if you drink a 12-pack, ah, you get that buzz. And the alcohol takes control of you. Are you drinking enough from the living water to let God change your life? Drunk in the Spirit, if you want to say that. Paul said in the New Testament, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In the same way that alcohol controls a man, let God control you. Are you drinking enough from the well of living water to let God influence your life? Or are you just sipping? And you're saying, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not satisfied. I feel purposeless. Why go to church? There's nothing there. You need to get drunk on God. You need to let Him fill you up. I'm telling you, some of our guests here today, I want you to clearly understand, we are so glad you're here. But you've got to understand, church is not the answer. Church is not the answer. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer. So you're drinking. Are you satisfied? Or are you just sipping the cup of living water? Then, number four. You put on clothes 
but never have enough to get warm. How secure do you feel today? The picture is a man who puts clothes on but never feels... See, there's certain needs that men, men and women have. Food and clothing, protection, those kind of things. There's things that we need to feel secure in life. And the Word says you put on clothes and you put on clothes, but that need to feel warm is never met. Do you feel secure today? Let me look you dead in the eye and ask you this. If you're to die today, do you have the total confidence... That absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If the doctor was to designate or diagnose and say, you have cancer. Do you have the confidence to say that, listen, I may not understand the cancer, but my faith and trust is in God and he will not fail. Jackie, he will not fail. He will not fail. When my grandbaby, great grandbaby drowns in the river, he will not fail. When the doctor says terminal cancer, he will not fail. When my world is falling apart, he will not fail. When my marriage is down the tubes, he will not fail. You can feel secure in Christ. Secure in Christ. You won't find it in church. You will not find it in your definition of religion. But you will find it in relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm telling you the truth. We're found close. But we're afraid of dying. We're afraid of living. We want if ourselves to an early grave. And God is saying that it doesn't have to be that way. He goes on and says this, number five. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. The wage earner puts his wages in a bag with a hole in it. And I can identify with this. You know, Judy, as you get older, you put more and more into retirement... You know, and, and Judy and I weekly put a pretty good chunk of our paycheck into retirement. And I put it in, and they lose it. Come on now. Come on. Your 401k went to a 201k. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you teachers are worried about retirement because the state keeps changing the rules on you. Can I have an amen? Come on. You know what I'm talking about. And God says, we're like a wage earner who puts the money in there, but it keeps falling out. As you work yourself to death in this world as you try to plan for some kind of future and retirement. Do you ever wonder if this is all there is? Do you ever say, there's got to be more than this? I've got the trinkets. I've got the toys. But there's something not there. Now, with those five things, you know what God says now? Think carefully. Evaluate. Examine where you are. Don't just sit. Sit and thinks. Contemplate. Meditate where you are today. There are three really interesting scriptures in the, in the New Testament that talk about evaluation. The first is found in, in um, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says this. Examine. Would you please say examine with me? Examine. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Are you sure that Jesus Christ is in you? Indeed, 
It's useless. Indeed, you are disqualified. Are you positive today? God is saying through the word examine and now in the New Testament, as we examine our ways, if you saw these questions and you go, you know what, I'm really not fulfilled. And you know what? I am building my own house and I really don't think about God's kingdom. Are you sure you're in the kingdom? Now, I haven't given my, for the sake of our guests, I haven't given my testimony in a long time. I'm not going to give you the whole smoly now. But I will just tell you this. For 21 years, I was in church. Two decades and one year. I was a worship leader, like Dave, but I was a lay person. I was a worship leader in a pretty good sized church. And one day in Sunday school, the pastor gave the testimony of a deacon who was driving down the road, and God just like smacked him and said, You are lost. And that deacon pulled over in the wet grass. I remember the testimony and said, God, forgive me. I know I'm not a believer. And that morning in Sunday school hour, I was in the pastor's class. I went up to the pastor after, after Sunday school. I said, I need to talk with you. Remember, I'm only worshiping 15 minutes. I looked him in the eye and I said, I do not have the assurance of faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm lost. And you know what's so cool that day? Because he didn't go, uh, Dwayne, hello, time out. You're the worship leader. Uh, you're kind of ruining my sermon here. Uh, this is not what I need to hear from a person who represents our church on stage. You know what he said? He said, Dwayne, you know what you need to do, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I do. And we went over to a rocking chair just about right here. And he knelt with me and, and I said, God... I've been playing a game with you for 21 long years. And I've been baptized and dunked. But I know, God, that I'm not a Christian. I'm not saved. I'm not a believer in Jesus. And that morning on October 26, 1975, I asked Jesus to come to my heart. Now, let me tell you what didn't happen. Well, a couple things didn't happen. I didn't speak in tongues. I didn't hear thunderclaps. I didn't see lightning. Okay? And I didn't become perfect. Because, see, being a Christian is not being, about being perfect. It's about being forgiven. I mean, I, I tell people, I told, I told someone while we were sending up school bags, I said, hey, you, have you ever visited our church? No. I said, you need to come. I said, are you perfect? And she said, no. She said, no. And I said, we're the church for you because we're full of imperfect people. Every one of us have sinned against God. Every one of us have sinned against God. I didn't become perfect that day. But I became forgiven. And God put me on a journey whose sole purpose was to bring glory to His name and knock off the junk in my life that doesn't look like Jesus. It's called sanctification. So examine yourself today. I'm not trying to get decisions. I just know this. Without Jesus, you can't make heaven. You can have a great plan to explaining God how you thought or how you hoped. But he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's without Jesus, you won't make heaven. All the religion in the world being dunked a dozen times, no matter how good you think you are, will never make a difference when you stand before God. Only the blood that was shed on a cross like this by the sinless Son of God can pay for your sins. And the cool part is, it is like wide open. You know, God doesn't care about skin color. He doesn't care about skin color. You know, he, he, he likes, you know, he loves 
the Anglo people. He loves the African American. He loves the Chinese. I guess the Olympics. You can take the Olympics, all those countries. And did you know God loved every one of them? Enough they sent Jesus to die? And, and you know what's cool is? You know, sometimes like you have to have a certain amount of money to join a certain club. Well, not with Jesus. Because God's not impressed or depressed about your financial condition. He says, come. 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 That's so cool. doesn't care how well you speak, how well you dress. All that just doesn't matter to him. He loves you. He provided a way that you don't have to face his wrath. Jesus faced his wrath on the cross. So you don't have to face his wrath. And at the conclusion of this service, Brother Brent will be standing right down front here. I'm going to have everyone bow their head. I'm going to give you the opportunity to come and say, and this is not like to embarrass you or nothing, because, again, everybody's head's going to be bowed. But we want to give you answers. If you'll come down and say, Brent, I want to know how I can have the hope of heaven, how I can know my sins are forgiven. Because, man, I've done some. I, I want to know how I can have that confident assurance that Jesus is my Savior and God is my Father. And we'll take the Word of God and show you exactly how that can happen. Just like it happened for me all those years ago. So examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Think about that. God says, think about that. The second thing to think about, we find in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 28. Here's what it says there. Therefore, and the subject is the Lord's Supper. Now let me pause there. I thought about something this morning I was studying Probably one of the, the greatest opportunities of worship is the Lord's Supper. Would you say amen to that? I mean, we don't even sing a song unless we like do what the hymn, you know, what the book says and tag a hymn on the end. You know, we sing, must be the tie that binds or something. It's not about that music. Because worship is so much bigger than singing a song. Worship is like serving. Worship is presenting. You know, that video that David had at the beginning of the service, like, way cool. So the topic is the Lord's Supper. He says this. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup, the Lord's Supper, of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, once again, it's not, you know, it's not unworthy as a sense because you know, none of us really are worthy outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's saying when we take and make a mockery of the Lord's Supper, like we're in a real dangerous position. Okay, God doesn't take lightly of that. And God doesn't take lightly when we make a mockery of worship. When we come in and we cross our arms and say, Okay, God, I dare you to bless me. When we are frustrated with a guy sitting two seats down and angry at him. When, when we're more worried about the clock than we are eternal souls. We're more worried about if we're going to beat the Methodist to Kentucky Fried again or not. So the seriousness of how we worship is huge. I mean, I really... Do you know there's now a group that meets in the fellowship hall and they pray for this service? They're praying that God would allow His Holy Spirit to work in our hearts because what we do here is eternal. Did you know there are people in this sanctuary this morning that are not listening to me? And you said, you finally figured it out, didn't you? <laughs> They're praying. They're praying right now. 
for God to do a work in our lives. How incredible. How incredible. So, here's how that finishes. Let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. So God is saying, not only our salvation, but we should examine the way we worship. Do we come in this building expecting God to do something in us? In us. You know, whether you sit way back there in that corner or way over here, and I told these folks that these lights are out, don't y'all go sleep. Y'all at least got light. They don't have any light. Sit over here or whether you're on the front row, it doesn't matter. Do you come expecting God to do something? Is it more than just something we do for an hour and 20 minutes? Examine yourself. God says, think about it. Because He's concerned for your soul and He's concerned about your worship. But then it goes one step further. There's one more scripture in Galatians chapter 6. Listen to this. But let each one examine. Say examining it for me, please. Examine. Let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one will bear his own load. What he's saying is this. I mean, I, I, I told the mayor of Harrisburg, I think it was this week, I've lost track. I think he called me on Monday. It may have been last week. And he was talking to me about some things. And I said, Mary Greg, I want you to know something. I just happen to be fortunate enough to pastor the greatest church, I think, in Harrisburg. I said, they're just good people. What's going to take place in this building is just incredible. But some of you will show up here at 2 o'clock or 3 and work. And some of you will, for whatever reason, choose not to do that. And I want to tell you something. You think it's cool to be able to save someone? Yeah, I go to that church that ministers to 1,000 people on August the 12th. That's one thing you can say. It's just incredible when you can say, I was there. I, I'm glad I can talk about their work. But I'm glad I can talk about my work. In other words, what role do you do at church? What's your work like? It's, it's cool to boast in, in their work. That's what he said. Um, and then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. It's cool when you can say, yeah, we do that. But what are you doing for the kingdom? How are you helping to build the kingdom? Are you teaching a class? Are you an usher? Are you in the choir? Do you sing special music? Do you invite people? Do you keep the nursery? Do you do junior church? I'm like, nine zillion things you can do. And God invites you to have a part in that. Isn't that cool? I mean, he invites you to have a part in that. That's just incredible to me. Incredible. Each one should bear... His own load. You know, uh, Brent, can I just change what you said a little bit? You know, Brent said, if you feel led, let me help you, honey. You're led. You're led to be here this afternoon. If you're a member of our church, you're led. If you've been here more than twice, you're led. If you're a first-time visitor today, you're led. We have a place for you to serve today. There's no clicks and clubs in this event. 
We may have a team in charge of shoes and a team in charge of haircuts and a team in charge of school supplies and a team in charge of the food and a team in charge of counseling. But honey, I want you to know something. There's a place at the trough for you today. Come on. Come on. Come on. You're left. Then he also said this. You know, go and pray about it. Let me stop. Can you let me save you a little bit of time? You don't need to pray about this, honey. God wants you serving. God created you and saved you to serve. All you've got to do is look for opportunities and look across my forehead with my invisible ink at your pastor and it's got opportunity flashing at you. One, close to 1,000 people will come through this building today if history is an indicator. Somewhere around 600 children will receive school supplies, shoes. Over a hundred will receive haircuts. Whoever wants a haircut gets one. This kitchen facility is preparing food to feed a thousand people. And you, you can be a part of that. And I promise you, I don't know what's going on in the Olympics, but in this event, that's a gold medal for God. That's a gold medal. Come on, amen. Woo, shoot that thing. Just shoot that thing. I'm telling you. Examine your soul. Examine your worship. Examine your service. God says, think about it. Ponder it. Evaluate it. And then finally, in verse number 8, here's how it closes for today. Go up unto the hills, God says. God says, go up unto the hills and bring down lumber and build the house. What God is saying to us today as a people, considering, you know, he asked the question, is it a time for yourselves to live in panel homes and my house lays in ruins? Is it that kind of a time? When he says to us, you have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough to be satisfied. You drink but you never have enough to become drunk. You put on clothes but never have enough to be warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. He says, here's what I want you to do. Now, I want you to go up on the hills. I want you to get lumber. I want you to build a house. Not tomorrow. Not when you're older. Not if you, you know, right now, Dwayne, right now, we have young children. You know, I'll do it later when, you know, when it will happen. No. Dwayne, I'm a little old now. You know, I'm a little old now. Go up on the hills, get lumber, build the house. He's challenging us in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ of the cross, in the name of Jesus Christ where Mary broke the alabaster box and washed the feet of Jesus with her very hair. The song you sang about, he's challenged us to build a house. He's challenging us to go his way. He's challenging us. To break our pots. Evaluate. Examine. Think about it. And, and why, Dwayne? Why? See, that's what's so cool. I can preach this like a way cool heart. Because it's not about money. It's not about Dorsville. It really is about God and His kingdom. 
somewhere between 1.6 and 1.7 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus. And you say, but what difference can we make? I don't know. Ask Mary. God allowed her to conceive without a guy and said, with God, all things are possible. Do you know what? I really start. This journey through the minor prophets has been pretty. You know, y'all, see, all y'all say, well, you get standing and holler at us. Dude, you know who gets this before you do? Yeah. Me in the little green room there? And me and God face to face? Yeah. It's been really life changing for me. It really has. I, you know, I honestly believe? I believe God can send revival. I believe God can shake Harrisburg. I believe we can see a, a sweeping power of the Holy Spirit to this community that we love. I believe that God can change America. And I believe that God can reach down from heaven and reach this world in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I would have said I believe that three months ago. But I believe it. With my core being. And I have a harder time with the world. I go to Africa. I can hardly get my... But when I think about Harrisburg being known throughout Illinois as a true Christian community. What difference would that make in your kid's life, folks? What would happen if Harrisburg High School was known as a secular Christian high school? When they had to move the FCA group to the high school gym because no classroom would contain it. When parties stopped being the normal on Friday night with underage drinking and prayer meetings dead. How would that change your child's life? Impossible? With God, all things are possible. But he says, go up on the hill, cut the lumber, and build the house. Twenty-three days later. They didn't do it the next day. But twenty-three days later. We know because of the scripture. Twenty-three days later, they started rebuilding the temple. These people somehow got it and said, Okay, God, if that's what you want, that's what we'll do. And my prayer today is that we'll get it and we'll do it. I'm not sure how that pans out in your life. I really don't know. Don't know. That's when you and God. I might have an idea what it means to me and to maybe Brent, you know, for you and Dave, you know, for you. But it's just how God pans out in your life. What role does God want you to play in redeeming, helping redeem in Jesus' name? Our community and our world. Would you bow your heads there? Sometimes I sit and I think. And sometimes I just sit. This is our time of decision. Taking those three points. If you're here today and you do not have the confident assurance 
that Jesus Christ is your Savior and heaven is going to be your home. I would like to invite you. And again, every head will be up. Every head will be bowed. Every eye will be closed. It's just, just I'll be looking and Brother Brent will be looking to receive you. We want to tell you about Jesus and how you can have that confidence assurance. And we'll take the word of God to do it. How's your worship? How's your worship? I read a devotional by Greg Laurie. And I even put a newsletter coming up. Because it so spoke to my heart. What do people sense when they sit around you and worship? What do they sense? What message do you send those sitting around you? And maybe a first time visitor. What if there was a guest sitting next to you? How would they sense your worship? Would they sense authenticity? Would they sense a passion for Jesus? Hmm? Examine yourselves. How about your service? I was that kid that that was always the last to pick. I got my tonsils out in the first grade and got fat thereafter. I just never was athletic. No one ever wanted me on their team. And one day I met Jesus. You know what? He made me a starter. He put me on the starting lineup. He said, Dwayne, I trust you and I believe in you. And he does you too. How's your service today? Will you have to rearrange some priorities? Yeah. Yeah. Will some things have to go? Maybe. I'm telling you guys, it's worth it. It's worth it. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, your word's incredible. Thank you for it. Thank you for every person that you've appointed in this room for today and the ones who listened on the radio. Father, you've challenged us today very specifically to think about our ways, to evaluate, to examine. And now, Holy Spirit, it's up to you. Today, tomorrow, this week, right now, Lord, speak to our hearts. If there's a person here who's never trusted Jesus, Father, with all my heart I pray, may today be the day. May today be the day they realize that they've sinned against you, but forgiveness is available. Father, speak to us about our worship. This is such a crucial time. One hour and a few minutes every week we gather together. May we learn to worship you in spirit and in truth. And serve as well. Well, Lord, that takes place from the time we get up to the time we go to bed. But may we be Christ-like in our service. Because that, too, is our worship. So thanks, God, so much for the privilege of sharing your word today. Now have your way in the lives of men, women, and children. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.